I thought Clay was jamming on those drums. Clay was getting all Alex Van Halen up there on those drums. He wasn't going to stop. Yes. So good morning. Um, my turn to share today. I, I do want to throw out a few disclaimers on this morning's um, talk. One, um, I am really, really excited about what we're sharing this morning, but I am totally overwhelmed. Straight up. Um, because today is big stuff. Um, it's big stuff. You're going to see a lot of scriptures on the screen today. Um, you're also going to see, in some cases, just references of those scriptures. So if you want to jot those down, or if you want to have out your phone or your Bible, I'm going to tell you that today for us really needs to be a starting point on this topic. That really, um, there needs to be more work done on our part to come to an understanding of what I'm going to kind of introduce to you today, okay? If, if I could just throw that out kind of as a disclaimer. Brian kicked off our study in the book of Acts of the early church last week, um, but we are not going to move any farther than the scriptures that we really looked at last week. And the reason that we're going to do that is because we felt that it was very crucial to pause and to dig as deep as we can in our own human understanding. That's another thing with this message today is the understanding is really outside of what we can comprehend. Um, and to dig deeper in, especially to the last two verses of what was looked at last week in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So today I'd like to start by reading those five verses. Acts chapter 1 says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. Dear God, we uh, humble ourselves this morning before you. Uh, just amazed at your plan and how your plans are perfect. And we just pray for understanding today. Um, that we would be able to catch a glimpse of an understanding of kind of how you work and, and what you have provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want us to do this morning is to start out by trying to put ourselves in the situation of the disciples. Okay, so let's rewind to when Jesus was still with his disciples here on earth. Imagine having Jesus, the Almighty God, in human form as your personal friend. Can we wrap our brain around that a little bit? Imagine every day you wake up, you get to follow him in the streets. You get to listen to him proclaim the kingdom of God. You get to watch in awe as he heals the sick. You get to look in astonishment or demons, as demons are cast out by his authority. You're going to be confused by his teaching sometimes, so he actually takes the time to stop and explain it when you don't get it. 
You're going to eat three meals a day with him. If he ate three meals. You're going to laugh with him. You're going to cry with him. You're going to get to see his face. No wonder the disciples' hearts are troubled and full of sorrow. And John, when Jesus tells them the news that he's what? He's leaving. I'm sure that they felt distraught over losing their friend. After all, this was the best friend that they had spent every day with for years. He was their amazing counselor, and he was also a source of power and a source of strength for them. Now, Jesus actually starts telling the disciples that he's going to be leaving in John chapter 13. But by John 14, he's letting them know that the Holy Spirit is going to come to be their helper. We read this in the 14th chapter of John, verse 15, where it says, If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He goes on in verse 26 to say, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, if that news wasn't shocking enough for the disciples, you can imagine the reaction when Jesus goes on in John chapter 16, verse 7, where he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He actually tells the disciples, if I, the Son of God, go away, it is to your advantage. It is good that I leave you. How in the world could it be better? Think about that if you're a disciple. You've been walking side by side with the Son of God for years. How could it be better if he leaves? In their human understanding, I'm sure that they could not have begun to understand how it could have been better for Jesus to leave and for the Holy Spirit to come and to dwell in them. In fact, truth be told, I would say we as believers and followers of Christ would say that we would maybe prefer to physically have Jesus walking with us and for him not to leave because we think that it might make our faith come easier. Oh, if I could just see him do the miracles and not read about them. But Jesus said this because he knew the plan. He knew that his purpose on earth was about to come to fruition. He knew that God's plan was to gather his children from all over, from the ends of the earth, and that that would reach far beyond this small little group of disciples. Let's stop for a moment. I hope you get this. It, it was big to me when I heard this. So let's picture Let's picture for a moment what it would be like if Jesus would have never ascended into heaven, okay, but instead would have stayed here on earth to be with his followers face to face, okay? So let's say you are one of a million people. So there's a million people in your group, okay? Now, first of all, you've got to get to Jesus. That's a whole other idea. But there's a million people waiting to see Jesus, and see him face to face. When you do get to see him, you are going to get to spend one minute with him. Okay? You're going to get to spend one minute. Now, since he does have to eat and he does have to sleep, 
We're going to say, he's going to go a long day here, that he spends 14 hours a day meeting with people. At that rate, Jesus is going to meet with 840 people a day. So in your group of a million, to get to you, it is going to take 3.2 years for you to get 60 seconds with Jesus face to face. You better, you better be prepared, right? Better know what you want to ask him or tell him. If we do this just in the state of Ohio, all 11.6 million people living in Ohio, let's say that they all wanted to spend 60 seconds with Jesus. It would take him 33 years to get to you face to face. Jesus knew that God's children everywhere would need the same counsel, the same intimate relationship, the same power that the disciples had every day. He knew that we would need that. Because of his love for us, God had a plan that each believer could personally know him as well and even better than the disciples knew Jesus. That's why at the beginning of Acts, as we just read, Luke recounts Jesus telling the disciples to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So one possible reason why the disciples might have struggled with Jesus leaving could have been their lack of understanding of who the Holy Spirit actually is. And I would venture to say that as the church today, we're in the same boat. In order for us to truly be transformed followers who possess the power that the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, to, to possess the power to carry out the work of the early church that we see in Acts, we must understand who the Holy Spirit is and why God's promise of his coming is so vital to us. So that's the question of today. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he mean to us as believers? You know, I grew up going to church and I'm going to be honest with you. I even went to a Christian university. Amazing. And people were afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. So therefore, in my opinion, that leads to a lack of understanding of actually who he is and why he's so vital to us as believers. So let's look at that. We're going to dive into this today. Who is the Holy Spirit? First up, he is an equal, an equal part of the Trinity or the Godhead. Jesus, in his own words in Matthew chapter 28, confirms this by saying, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How often do we recognize or we hear these words, maybe like at a baptism, right? However, we don't acknowledge the Holy Spirit outside of that. I would argue, personally, in my opinion, that the Holy Spirit, by far, is the most neglected of the Trinity. We often fail to recognize that without Him, we are in serious trouble. We as believers also must give him the glory and the honor that he deserves. Don't take my word for this. Jesus actually shows the importance of this by saying in Luke chapter 12, 
And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. This is, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Jesus clearly acknowledged the respect that the Holy Spirit deserves. Now, as part of that Trinity or Godhead, the Holy Spirit has an equal role. In 2 Corinthians we read, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit is all about fellowship. God's way of being in relation to us, with us, as Jesus was in relation to the disciples. As an equal part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is eternal, holy, and he has always existed. Genesis chapter 1 reads in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Even back in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is there. If we read on to verse 26, we hear God say, Let us make man. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Let us make man. He's been around from the beginning. We read about his power, his knowledge, and presence throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We read that he is omnipotent or all-powerful, and he always has been. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If we were to go back and read the stories of Samson in the book of Judges. Remember Samson, big strong guy, long hair? We would read that all of his feats of strength are directly attributed to the Spirit coming upon him. Now, not only is the Spirit all-powerful, but, but the Spirit, he is also omniscient. He is all-knowing, and he always has been. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He knows everything. He is also omnipresent, or he is everywhere, and he always has been. In Psalm 139, we read, we read David saying, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, I'm, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. He is also a person. People consistently refer to the Holy Spirit as it. How many of you have done this? You know, in preparing for this, it's interesting because I'd be reading through it and Steph and I were working through it and she's like, you just said it, right? Instead of he. A lot of times we get to this idea of referring to him as an impersonal force or some sort of influence that's out there. Well, this reveals an inaccurate view of what scripture teaches us. Jesus confirms the person of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 when he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Another helper. The Greek word another in this case actually means just like the first. 
Just like who? Just like Jesus, a person. In the very next verse, Jesus goes on to say, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you. He, Jesus refers as the Holy Spirit as a he, a person. Not just in this verse, but also throughout all the Gospels, he's referred to as he by Jesus. Now, if you're a person, that means there's certain things going on with you, which is even more cool. One, the Holy Spirit actually communicates. And he not only communicates with us, we're going to talk about it here in just a sec, but it's pretty cool because, it's actually not pretty cool, it's very cool. He actually communicates with God. And we see this in John chapter 16 where it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak from, right? from God. And he will declare to you, us, the things that are to come. How cool is that? In the same verse, we see the Holy Spirit in communication with God and in communication with us. He also communicates with Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, we read, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Communication between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is also the first person to be full of the Spirit. How cool is that? What an example to us, right? Who are supposed to be full of the Spirit. That the Son of God himself, right, was also full of the Spirit. This is the one that blows me away is the Holy Spirit. He even communicates with us. Acts chapter 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, said audibly, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. As a person, the Holy Spirit not only communicates, but he also has emotions and he has feelings. We know this because the Bible actually tells us that he can be grieved. He can actually feel sorrow. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I'm just scratching the surface here, okay? If you go on to read about the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, you will see plenty of evidence in lots of other instances where the Holy Spirit experiences other emotions as well. So let's look at the character of the Holy Spirit and the implications of our relationship with a God, with God, in the person of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean to us? Now that we have kind of scratched the surface a little bit on who he is, what does that mean to me? Well, one, it means he is our or he is my counselor, he's my advisor, he's my guide. John chapter 14, going back to that again, Jesus said, He, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In Psalm 143, if we were to go and read that, we would hear David ask God to let his good spirit lead him. And as an advisor, we see him provide us with accountability in John. 
when we read, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He is also our comforter and encourager. In Acts chapter 9, when we get to the point where we're reading that, we're going to see that the church is actually multiplied because they are walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's why the church multiplies. The Holy Spirit is also our source of power. He empowers us and he actually strengthens us to be able to live in a godly way and to accomplish God's purposes. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 say, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 says, That according to riches of his glory, he, the Father, may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. We do not have the ability to make good choices on our own. Without the spirit, we will always go towards the things of the flesh. Because the Holy Spirit is the only part of us that is not sinful. The Holy Spirit tells us what to say in tough situations. Mark chapter 13. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. I can't explain that, by the way. I'm just telling you it's true. Luke chapter 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in, in that very hour what you ought to say. For me personally, this is where I'm the worst, right? I have a lot of trouble keeping my big mouth shut sometimes and just listening and letting him speak through me. He also prays for us when we don't know what to pray. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How awesome is that, right? When I actually don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on my behalf. How many times have we not known what to pray in, relationship, in relation to God's will? Or maybe we're totally overwhelmed or troubled and don't know how to pray. Or even don't know, have the strength to come up with the words to pray. How humbling is it for us as believers that God has provided us with his spirit and that whatever he prays, it's in God's perfect will. How cool is that? The Holy Spirit also gives each believer a manifestation of himself. Manifestation, a piece or pieces of his actual self 
in the form of spiritual gifts. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, it is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Gifts. What are those gifts from the Spirit? As we read in chapter 12, they are speaking wisdom, speaking knowledge, healing, working miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Chapter 12 also says all of these, all of these gifts, the ones I just read, are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, he alone, he alone decides which gift each believer should have. It's not about us, right? It's not about what we think our gifts are. This teaching for me was very incomplete growing up. I remember like in youth group, we do like spiritual gift inventories where you like fill out a spreadsheet to figure out what your gifts are, right? To figure out what I was good at. And I missed the fact that these gifts are only, they only come from the Spirit. It's not about me. And it's not just something that good Christians do. The Holy Spirit empowers us to display the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit is evidence of His characteristics in us. Galatians chapter 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How many of you, if you grew up in church, remember memorizing these, right? We kicked them out in the memory verses, right? I did, but I think I memorized them more as like, here's what good Christians do. Here's how good Christians act, as opposed to the evidence that the Spirit is actually in me, actually dwelling in believers as Jesus said it would be in John chapter 14 when he told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would dwell in them. I grew up thinking it was all about the fruit of Kevin, right? Having and showing love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Instead of understanding that those things in me are what's coming out of me whenever I'm yielding and the Spirit is leading. He gives us the ability to abound or to be full of or overflow in joy, peace, and hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And since we have that hope, as we read on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we can be bold and have freedom. Verse 12 of chapter 3 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. In verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom because I'm not doing it on my own. I'm doing it because he's in me. So, 
I kind of signed up for this topic. Actually, I did sign up for this topic, didn't I? Yeah, and I was kind of in it, and I'm like, man, what was I thinking? Like, okay, it's like, who is God? Because it is God. But anyway, so um, I did sign up for this topic, and, and the reason I really did is because it's, it's really been on my heart um, for a while. Um, ever since, to be honest with you, my family and house church years ago read a book, and I actually brought the book. Uh, we read the book Forgotten God by Francis Chan. I know several of you in here have read this book. Um, and it really wasn't the book necessarily that made the difference for me. Because the book is full of tons of scripture references. And as I grabbed my Bible, right, and started reading, the verses that I either had heard mis- misrepresented growing up in church or had never read at all because we didn't really understand them, so we kind of shy away from them. And I started reading those scriptures. It was, to be honest with you, a, cha- a, a turning point in my life as far as my Christian walk. It was definitely a life-changing experience as I started really diving into answering the question for myself, who does, who's the Holy Spirit? And, and what does it mean for me that I have him? Personally, I realized that I had lots of misconceptions. I realized that in my own personal life that I did not give the Holy Spirit the credit and the respect that he deserves. And I still have a whole heck of a long way to go. A whole long way to go. But I think we as believers cannot do what God is asking us to do on our own. And this is why the Holy Spirit is part of God's plan from the very beginning. God, that, that was his, it was his plan to dwell in us from the very beginning. So I want to share with you in trying to kind of figure out like, you know, how do, how do I end? Um, I want to share with you a quote from the introduction of the book, Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And I'm gonna, it's going to be on the screen, too, so you could follow along, because it's kind of lengthy, but not too bad. So in his introduction on pages 16 and 17, Francis Chan writes this. What if you grew up on a desert island with nothing but the Bible to read? Imagine being rescued after 20 years and then attending a typical evangelical church. Chances are you'd be shocked. Having read the scriptures outside the context of contemporary church culture, you would be convinced that the Holy Spirit is as essential to a believer's life, existence, as air is to staying alive. You would know that the Spirit led the first Christians to do unexplainable things, to live lives that didn't make sense to the culture around them, and ultimately to spread the story of God's grace around the world. There's a big gap between what we read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers and churches operate today. In many modern churches, you would be stunned by the apparent absence of the Spirit in any manifest way. And this, I believe, is the crux of the problem. If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree to which this has happened is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us feel with and in the church. We understand something very important is missing. 
The feeling is so strong that some have run away from the church and God's word completely. I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, many operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. As we study the book of Acts, we are going to see very clearly the supernatural difference of living with the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge us this morning as a church, as we do read through the book of Acts, that we not do it as a lesson in church history. It's not just about, oh, here's how the church was back in the day. But instead, that we use it as a wake-up call for ourselves and a vision for where we are supposed to go and can go as a body of believers. Now, in order to do this, again, we cannot do this on our own. So we need to be a people who are desperate for him, who are humbled, who are totally humbled by the idea that God dwells in us in the form of the Holy Spirit and that we are not distracted by the things of this world. Let's pray. Dear God, we just come to you this morning, as we said, humbled, just so thankful that you are a God of order and a God of planning and that from the very beginning you had a plan to not only save your people through Christ hanging on a cross, but then to be with your people in the most personal way that you possibly can by dwelling in us with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would take that idea very seriously, that I in my personal life and my personal walk with you would not make light of that, that I would look at the verses that you've provided for us and the words of Jesus and how important the Holy Spirit is, and that we would take your word for it through Jesus' words, that we are actually better off than the disciples who walked with Jesus physically because you actually dwell in us in the form of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.